Welcome to another fun episode of the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. But today we are going to move out of the kitchen and into the garden, which I hope for you is right next door or just when you open the door out of your kitchen and onto maybe a balcony garden or a backyard garden. And we are going to be talking with Meg Kelly, who is the co-founder of Learn Veganic. Hi, Meg. Lovely to have you here today. Hi there, Bridget. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for coming. So Meg promotes veganic gardening to empower people to grow their own fruits and veggies the vegan way using entirely plant-based fertilizers. We're going to go into a lot more depth into that. She has been gardening veganically for 15 years in backyard, balconies, and also on in the countryside. She founded the Veganic Agriculture Network in 2008 to increase awareness about veganic gardening in farming in North America. And today she teaches the Learn Veganic online course to help people around the world grow their own thriving gardens that are animal-friendly and sustainable. This is really amazing and I cannot wait to learn more about this. So let's get started. Let's jump right in. Tell me, what is veganic gardening? Uh, yeah, so basically veganic gardening is gardening organically but without any animal-based fertilizers and using entirely plant-based fertilizers. Uh, and it's a little surprising sometimes when we start to garden to find out that so many organic fertilizers are actually animal-based. Uh, and so if we're trying to move away from using uh, the products of animal farming or that, the, you know, or factory farm residues or things like that, it means that when we decide to start gardening, we really have to take a look at what types of fertilizers are we going to use? And is there a way we can move away from those animal-based fertilizers to plant-based fertilizers? So veganic really combines together uh, organic and veganism together in, in, in a gardening approach. This is very cool. So tell me a little bit about um, why or how you got started down this path. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I became vegan in the early 2000s. And, you know, like many people, I was just buying all of my food from grocery stores and I wasn't questioning too much where it came from. Uh, and around 2007, 2008, I started to get curious about how food was grown, uh, interested in growing my own food a little bit. I started uh, you know, sprouting a lot more and, and speaking more with local farmers. Uh, and I got interested in gardening. And uh, at the time, I became best friends with Stefan Grolot. And Steph, I, he uh, co-founded the Veganic Agriculture Network with me and Learn Veganic. Um, but uh, when we first met, um, he had actually been looking into veganics for several years. And he had actually gone to Europe and met with people who had been promoting the uh, veganics in Europe for a few years. And he had kind of brought that back, uh, those ideas back uh, to North America. Um, and I was just kind of at the very beginning of my interest in gardening when I met sort of the one person uh, in, in Canada who was uh, already very, very knowledgeable about the topic. And so I had this incredible experience of being able to learn how to garden veganically right away. Um, I think a lot of people, when they first decide to garden, can get 
you know, very lost in all of the resources and, you know, going through garden centers and finding out that everything is animal based. Uh, I had this incredibly lucky experience that the first year I started gardening in 2008, it was veganic right away in the same garden as someone else who had been doing it for years. Uh, so it was a really wonderful experience to have essentially, you know, vegan, veganic mentorship and um, and to start gardening that way right away. So I've actually never gardened with animal products and uh, and learned veganic right from the get-go. Wow, that is so cool. I mean, I can imagine it's like being born vegan, which very few of us yeah. had the pleasure <laughs> to do. That's just wonderful. Tell me a little bit about why we anybody would want to um, use only plant-based uh, inputs in their gardening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in a lot of ways, it could be the same reasons why someone might not want to, you know, eat meat or or dairy or eggs. Um, you know, a lot of the, uh, I mean, essentially all of the animal products that we find on the market as fertilizers are from, you know, factory farming situations, essentially by default, because if you go and see a bag of chicken manure for sale. Well, there was nobody kind of going behind, you know, one rescue chicken in a pasture picking up little pieces of, of chicken poo. I mean, these are basically the byproducts of factory farming situations. Um, and for all the same reasons why we might want to avoid any type of animal agriculture, you know, it kind of extends to that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, animal rights and, uh, uh, you know, and avoiding animal cruelty, but also um, some of the, uh, chemicals or pathogens that can end up in the mix too. I mean, when we hear about, you know, pathogens that can end up in, for example, the meat or dairy supply, well, they can end up in the fertilizers too. So, you know, if we think about some of the outbreaks that have happened uh, in terms of food poisoning, like spinach, you know, being contaminated, well, it's not the spinach that's the problem, it's the manure that contaminated the spinach. And so in terms of food safety, it can be a lot safer uh, to move toward veganic uh, foods. And some of the stuff too that's happening, you know, in the meat industry that we think of as associated, you know, with that as a problem like uh, antibiotic use and the potential for antibiotic resistance. Well, there's some studies that show that manure still has antibiotics in it and the vegetables actually can uptake it. So you can end up with antibiotics in the vegetables. And so when we have an agricultural system that's already so based on factory farming, you know, it ends up coming, can, you know, being connected back to the fruits and vegetables we buy from the grocery store and even what people grow in their home garden. Um, so I, I've kind of moved toward veganic um, really, really for the ethical reasons, but, you know, the health reasons and the environmental reasons, I see those as, you know, wonderful additions, um, you know, all the wonderful, uh, impacts that having a plant-based diet has we really find the same wonderful impacts when we when we switch to veganic growing there certainly is a very compelling case there um but i just realized as i'm asking you this i'm going to have to backtrack for a moment because for I sure think there's a lot of people that don't even that don't necessarily have a whole lot of gardening experience and that may not even really know why we have to use <laughs> you know, fertilizers and maybe other kinds of, in particular, animal products or, or inputs, let's call them that, when we're gardening. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, growing vegetables 101. For How sure. How we need those inputs, right? For sure. So basically, plants get 
almost everything that they need from the sunshine, the air, and the water. So the vast majority of what makes up a plant, it's, you know, the water that it brought in and through photosynthesis, it brings in some carbon. Uh, but the plant still needs a little bit of nitrogen and a little bit of phosphorus, a bit of potassium, a tiny bit of calcium. Uh, and some of those things it can actually get from the soil. Some of those things will, will be kind of in the soil already and the plant can go and get them from the rocks or can get them from, um, you know, other plants that have died back and have decomposed, you know, much like would happen in a forest. If we think of in a forest, you know, it's kind of the constant decomposition of plants that will feed the next generation of plants. But when we have systems where, for example, you want to get a whole lot of cauliflower out of one field and you're going to keep working that field every single year, um, sometimes people will bring in, you know, outside sources of fertilizer just to give the plants a boost for things like nitrogen and phosphorus that they might need. Um, and I uh, commonly I uh, chemical fertilizers are often used. Uh, so, you know, there's chemical nitrogen that's used in, you know, kind of conventional vegetables that people buy. And a lot of uh, gardeners use um, chemical fertilizers, too. And those actually they, they you know, it, it takes a lot of energy and there's a lot of greenhouse gases associated with making chemical fertilizers. So the alternative is organic and organic you know, there's a lot of wonderful things to say about organic. You know, organic is really focused on, you know, we're not going to use the chemicals. We're going to use some natural products to fertilize with, and we're going to take care of the soil and, uh, and things like that. But a lot of organic is kind of defaulted to using animal products to get those extra nutrients because partly because there's so many excess animal products on the market, right? If you have something like a huge, factory farm with a lot of chickens in it, well, that creates a lot of manure. And then, well, where does that go? Well, it ends up going into the farming system. Um, but the thing is, if we think about well, what what is chicken manure? Well, that's just whatever the chicken ate and some of the residues that it pooed out. It's not even pooing out everything that it ate. But what did the chicken eat? Well, it ate something like soy or something like alfalfa or something like, you know, some grains or or um, some some grass in some cases. Uh, so really that chicken manure is just made out of plants. Uh, you know, it's just plants that got digested. So any of these nutrients like nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium that you might find in the manure, well, it came from the plants to begin with. So with veganic, we just cut out the middleman and say, we don't need this whole animal agricultural side of things. The animal didn't produce any nutrients. It's not the source of any nutrients. You know, animals don't magically produce phosphorus or calcium or anything like that. It's just something that they pooped out after they ate something. So with veganic, we can kind of take those original plant-based materials and fertilize with that directly. So interestingly, I have one garden that's fertilized entirely with hay. And I basically just put hay on the garden and the hay just slowly decomposes. And that's what feeds uh, the garden. And if you think about hay, that's what's often used for as uh, to feed cows. So, you know, cow manure is basically hay minus a few things and then digested. Whereas I take the hay as a, like a whole food source. I feed it to my soil and then all of the little microorganisms and worms, they're just going to break that down. Uh, so that's really kind of what it's about is just going back straight to those plant-based nutrients. Thank you so much because intuitively I've always thought, yeah, veganic farming is the right you know, thing to do, although I can imagine there's challenges. 
And you've just made it really clear to me that it's kind of like the same as the protein question. You know, I can imagine exactly. a farmer asking you, where do you get your nitrogen and especially your phosphorus, right? And yeah. where do you get your protein? Well, it's the same thing. Just skip the middle chicken, you know. You know what the, the interesting cow. thing is about this like protein nitrogen question is it's it really is the same question because, you know, um, if we look at carbohydrates and fats, they're made of hydro uh, made up of hydrogen carbon and oxygen, whereas proteins have hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen. So the question of where do you get your nitrogen and where do you get your protein, it's basically, you know, exactly the same question. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is that the main way in nature that something like nitrogen, you know, ends up in, in ecosystems is through legumes. Uh, because legumes have this amazing relationship uh, with some soil bacteria uh, and basically in a legume plant like peas or beans, uh, there's going to be these little nodules on their roots. And there's some little bacteria that live in those nodules that can actually take nitrogen out of the air and, feed, you know, and share it with the legume plant. And so when we look at how does nitrogen show up, uh, you know, in, in normal ecosystems, well, it's through legumes. And so when we eat legumes, that's kind of why they're high in protein. But if we use legumes as a fertilizer for our gardens, that's why it feeds our other plants with nitrogen. My mind is blown with clarity. I am so glad we're having this conversation. And I'm sure maybe people will want to listen to this again. Um, just, you know, go back five minutes. This is really precious and I'm very grateful for it. That's fantastic. Sorry, I'm, I'm blown away. Does this, I mean, it's a little bit of a tough question to ask you, but does this scale to, because I have no doubt mm -hmm. you're making it work in a garden. Uh, we'll go back to the how in a minute, but... Yep. Is there any hope of seeing this scaling up at the food system scale? Yeah, I mean, it's one, one thing that's really interesting, and this is going to be, I'm going to speak very briefly about sort of micro farms, uh, but th there's uh, some folks down in Northern California um, who started um, examining the question, what if we wanted to feed the whole world <laughs> on as the smallest amount of space possible so that we could actually leave more space to nature. And, you know, they said they were basically saying, look, you know, modern diets are taking up so much space. You know, we have a growing population, you know, we're encroaching upon nature. What is the technique we could use that would use the least amount of space possible? And they came from it really from that angle of ecology and protecting ecosystems and over the years, they've been studying this for decades, over the years, their system became essentially veganic, either veganic or extremely close to it. And it was, it's really, really interesting to see that when they actually asked this question, and they weren't asking the question, in that particular case, how can we do this on mega farms? They were asking the question, how can we feed everyone around the world in the most sustainable way possible? And it was really, really interesting to see that that came down to veganic. Um, when we look more at kind of mega farming systems or, you know, or commercial farms. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful examples uh, in the UK in particular, one of the oldest running organic farms is a, is a veganic or vegan organic one uh, that's called Tolhurst Organics. And Ian Tolhurst is an amazing veganic farmer. Uh, in um, Canada, uh, there's Jimmy Videli who recently uh, released a book uh, about uh, called the Veganic Growers Handbook, uh, and he's talking more about having 
kind of small scale family farms, you know, that, you know, two or three people could run together and to find ways to make that, you know, a financially viable uh, veganic farm and, and uh, you know, ecologically sound. And when we look at sort of the, the larger scale, it's interesting because sometimes things like large scale grain production or large scale legume production, if those are done organically, sometimes they end up being veganic by default, because if you have, you know, a thousand acres and you don't live near a place that has a lot of extra manure, well, often they would be managing that in a veganic way anyway, not necessarily from an ethical stance, but just from a practical one. So there are lots of examples of large scale farms that are doing this without even necessarily knowing they're doing it or not with the intention of doing it, but just from, from practicality. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also that question too, when we look at our current system, we can say, well, how long is this sustainable? Because, you know, we have a, a system right now where to some degree we can say it works, except it's not sustainable and it's hard to imagine it working in its current way long-term. Um, so with Veganic, you know, we certainly haven't seen it applied, you know, on a whole society scale yet. And so it's a little bit hard to say, look at this example of it being applied on a whole society scale. I would love to see that in the future. Uh, but for the moment, it needs to kind of be one farmer at a time. And uh, yeah, and it would be lovely to see things, you know, in the farming sector, like subsidies being switched from, <laughs> from factory farming over to promoting veganics so that we can facilitate that transition too. Absolutely. I, I used to work in the field of, um, you know, university research and grant facilitation and all those things. And whenever people tell me, oh, you know, we can't do the food system without manure as a input and this and that, I was like, if we put just a fraction of the research dollars that we put mm -hmm. into conventional farming to increase efficiencies and productivity and this and that into more, you know, planet friendly ways, I bet we would Im start improving pretty quick, right? But right now yeah, it remains sure. a largely kind of a cottage industry, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. To some extent, but I'm I'm feeling so much hope uh, listening to you. That's <laughs> well, really you know, the best thing I've heard all week. I I see hope with the idea that when you think of where organics was twenty or thirty years ago compared to today in terms of you know, availability and, you know, and, and people's familiarity with it. And when you see the same thing with veganism 30 years ago versus today, um, I feel like we have these examples of how these movements can grow in the course of, you know, one, two, three decades. Um, and I feel like organics and veganism are both present enough in the public mind now that perhaps it's, you know, finally the time for them to be combined together and for that to become uh, I, uh, you know a, a more recognizable movement for people a thing that yeah people want <laughs> let's touch on organic for just a moment um yep. why do we care about organic food production so are you asking what the benefits are of organics or generally why does it matter i mean i hear from you that you seem to think it's a good thing. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, more. I think for sure. It's, so, it's something that we've been taking for granted in this conversation. Um, yeah. But I'd, I'd like to hear you speak more to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I kind of see personally veganic 
as taking all the benefits of organic and going one step farther uh, by, by cutting out the animal products. But some of the benefits of organic, um, one is that there's a much bigger focus on soil health. Uh, so when we look at chemical agriculture, chemical agriculture basically has dead soil that, you know, and uh, it's basically feeding, you know, plants with, with chemicals directly. Um, with organic, there's a lot more focus on, um, you know, bringing, you know, soil life back, but also kind of homes for insects and having, you know, hedges and having uh, a much wider diversity of plants instead of just having a monoculture. Um, and so from an environmental perspective, um, organic does a lot of wonderful things. Um, there are certainly people who have, um, let's say, capitalized on the organic movement by doing very watered down versions of organic. So there's some organic farms that are operating much more ecologically than, than others. It can kind of depend on, on the approach and the motivations of, of far, uh, the farmers. But um, certainly in the small scale organic movement, uh, there's lots of people who are, you know, doing wonderful things in terms of, you know, trying to conserve the, the health and, uh, you know, perennity of their, their farming projects instead of, um, you know, using the soils up too heavily and, uh, and things like that. So uh, I, I see organic as a wonderful basis and then veganic as taking that extra step. Mega bonus. What you're saying reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with T. Colin Campbell. He's kind of the... Yeah old guy responsible for the China study. And one of his messages that is a bit less central, but in his book, Whole, and in general, in his um, speaking against what I'll call uh, nutritional reductionism, right? And I'm just okay. making the parallel here because I think a, a lot of people listening to this have done a lot more thinking about nutrition for humans mm -hmm. than nutrition for the soil, right? Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the, and I come at this as a sociologist of science, <laughs> which is my background. And I'm interested in how our, you know, human scientific thinking about nutrition has evolved. And we've been basically pretty rough about just going in a really reductionist manner thinking, you know, protein, fat, mm -hmm. carbohydrate, iron, calcium, you know, maybe thinking about zinc kind of thing. And one of the points that T. Colin Campbell has raised many times is that there's not exactly an infinity, but such a large exactly. number of other biochemical compounds in the plants that we eat and in all that food. And we barely understand, you know, we have these really mm -hmm. complex models of how, how all these things interact and how they interact with our bodies. And now we're starting to learn a lot more about the microbiome and like all these other creatures, beings that live within yeah. us that are not us and that we're interacting with basically we thought for so many years that we were understanding what was going on. And in fact, it was really hardly scratching the surface. And mm -hmm. I have the feeling that when you talk about veganic gardening and, and food growing or whatnot, it's kind of bringing that same, you, you did say earlier something about whole food Absolutely. or something like that, but it's that same idea that we need to think a lot more broadly in, in the health of the soil and like a carrot is not just a carrot, you know, um, there's so much that goes into our food. You know, yeah, it's an interesting thing because, you know, if you look at something like chemical fertilizers, it really will be, you know, here's your nitrogen, here's your phosphorus, here's your calcium. And I do sometimes still 
mention those nutrients or just bring them up because yes, they are important, just like us having calcium and iron is important. And, and so it's, you know, it's, it's worth knowing that they exist and that, you know, there is an importance in having them. I, uh, and, uh, in, in terms of nutrition, um, but yeah, with, with veganic, it very much does come down to let's feed our soil, a whole foods, plant-based diet, you know, and that whole foods, plant-based diet is, the compost made out of, you know, hundreds of different food scraps that have decomposed together. And then, you know, earlier I mentioned that legumes can be used to fertilize the soil because they, they have that wonderful ability to get some extra nitrogen, but like clover is a legume uh, and alfalfa is a legume. So you can use things like clover and alfalfa to feed the soil. Uh, hay is basically a, a whole food source for the soil. And so, yeah, it really is about seeing the soil as kind of a living entity that has its own digestive system and then, you know, providing the soil um, with, you know, a, a diverse plant-based diet, kind of like what it would receive if it was out in a prairie, you know, if, a, you know, if, if, you know, if there's something like a prairie and all of those plants die back, well, they would just be digested by the soil. So we're really, um, you know, working from that basis of seeing the soil as something that needs to be cared for and that needs to be fed. That is just beautiful. In brackets here, because I'm sure some people do tell you that, yes, but because you're mentioning the prairie, if it was a prairie in its natural, you know, state, which hasn't been the case in at least 600 years, yes. um, you would have buffalo roaming and then you would have buffalo poop. What about that? And I'm sure they feel really proud of having cornered you with that. What do you say? Well, I mean, I, I actually... Um... I think that there's a lot to be said for uh, encouraging the wide diversity of animals that are in the soil uh, and a wide diversity of insects, because even out on plains and, and places like that, you know, yes, there may have been buffalo passing through from time to time, and that would have been kind of an occasional thing, but there would also be, you know, grasshoppers. There would also be a lot of basically, you know, microscopic animals that we're not even seeing who are getting in there and who are cutting up the grass and who are uh, like digesting it down. Um, and even today, when we look at, you know, the system that we have, there's so many ways in which we've already made it very artificial. And at this point, you know, adding back in something like domesticated cows isn't necessarily making it more natural. You know, I think that when we look at a system that we've already turned into a relatively artificial system, we can say from this point on, what's the most ecological way we could interact with it? And I don't think that, you know, bringing in, you know, cows is the most ecological thing we can do at this point. There is not nothing natural, really, about cows or pigs or animals the way the chickens that we raise in factory farms that is for sure okay so let's get practical here and get our yep. hands dirty so let's say someone is listening to this and thinking yeah okay i'm already gardening we'll go back to the people who don't garden already in just a for moment sure. so stay tuned but let's talk about people who are already gardening what can they do to start shifting into veganic gardening yeah, so one of the main things I like to do is to look around at what type of plant-based resources are already in my neighborhood. Um, there are certainly things that we can buy, but anytime we buy in things, there's always a few little compromises or we have to check, you know, was it sprayed with pesticides or this or that? So my favorite thing is looking at, uh, you know, what's already available in my neighborhood as a plant-based resource that I could use as a fertilizer. Uh, so one of the most obvious ones is 
uh, just making our own compost. And, you know, this goes for anyone who's already an experienced gardener or anyone who's starting out or anyone who's thinking of starting out. If there's anyone listening who's thinking that you might start gardening in a year or two, the best thing that you can do right now is to start making your own compost because that compost is going to take a little while to be ready. And so if you get a jump start on it, you're really going to appreciate having it available later. Um, and oftentimes in city environments, composting can be enough. You know, if you have, you know, large enough composting systems and you can sometimes get food scraps from your neighbors too, or perhaps from, you know, a, a veg restaurant down the street or, or things like that. Um, and, you know, the easiest way that I know how to compost is that there's a lot of different recipes, but the easiest recipe I know is to mix one part food scraps with two parts autumn leaves. And uh, that provides a really nice balance of the different materials that you need for, for composting to happen successfully. Uh, so with, you know, if I add, you know, one bucket of food scraps, I'll add two buckets of autumn leaves and I'll mix them together and occasionally I'll aerate it. Uh, and after a few months or sometimes a little longer, uh, it'll break down into something that looks like dirt. And that's just a fantastic fertilizer because it's made out of plants. And most plants have the same about the same nutritional needs as other plants. So if you take hundreds of plant scraps and you mix them together and you let them break down, that in of, it, of itself is a wonderful form of fertilizer. And I would say that's probably the way in which that's almost like the default way to garden veganically that a lot of people who are gardening veganically probably don't even know that they're doing it veganically because they're basing it, you know, entirely on compost. Um, some other things that we can do, this one takes a while, but I love doing it, is taking a huge pile of autumn leaves and uh, just making them a little bit moist. And if you let them sit for two years, so that's the part where you have to be really patient, but you don't have to do anything. You just take a pile of leaves, make it moist, let it sit for two years, and it'll break down until it's crumbly like dirt. And that's just an absolutely wonderful material uh, that we can use to add to our gardens. And oftentimes in farming and gardening, people end up losing topsoil. There's a lot of erosion, things will wash away or be blown away with the wind. But this would be the mechanism through which, you know, new soil would be built in a forest, would be all those leaves falling and decomposing. And so we can do that in a pile. Uh, we can also add things like leaves on our garden beds so I can put them there as a mulch and that'll help hold in the, the moisture and there's less weeding to do because the light doesn't get through to the to the surface of the soil um, and we can use hay or straw as a mulch and those are also things that are the hay especially is a wonderful form of fertilizer uh, the straw not such a great form of fertilizer, but it will build up your soil. And so I really like to look at what's available in my community or what's available kind of either in my backyard or in my neighborhood or or just, uh, you know, nearby in the countryside that I can bring in. Um, and even things like grass clippings. You can take grass clippings, you know, from your lawn or clover clippings from your lawn and just put them on a, as a thin layer on your soil. So some of these things really don't have to be that complicated. And if we almost just start from the basis of what happens in a forest, well, stuff falls on the ground and it gets decomposed. What can we do in our garden? Well, we can put stuff on the ground and let it decompose, you know, or we can decompose it separately in a pile and then bring it in. Either one can work. Um, but there are so many wonderful resources around us, even tree branches, the tiniest branches of trees, not not big branches. Big branches have a lot of carbon and not many nutrients, but the really small ones, like smaller than a broomstick. If you can get chips from that, like wood chips, uh, they can be uh, decomposed in a pile or there are certain ways you can use them in your garden. They're 
a little bit more complex to use in the garden, so it's good to do a little bit of research first. But if you let them decompose in a pile first, they turn down and turn into this wonderful substance like dirt that we can feed back to our plants. So when we look at all the municipal tree trimming that's done, uh, you know, around power lines and things like that, if we let that decompose, it's a wonderful source of nutrients. And so, you know, with veganic, if we want to do it in the most ecological way possible, it does involve a bit more DIY. It involves a little bit more time. Um, but if we want really fast solutions, uh, there are some things that we can uh, find online in terms of products. In, in Canada, there's one that's called Vegano 333 that's sold by West Coast Seeds. Uh, down in the U.S., there's uh, a place called Good Dirt uh, that has all vegan products. Um, and there's things that we can buy like alfalfa. Alfalfa, interestingly, is you know often sold as uh, horse uh, f food for horses or food for rabbits. Uh, but it's a wonderful form of fertilizer. It's actually a really well-balanced uh, source of fertilizer. And so we can actually put that in our gardens. And uh, I think that's one of the most automatic replacements for, you know, if somebody's going out to a garden center just to buy a bag of factory farm chicken pellets, we'll just replace that with a bag of alfalfa pellets. Um, the only thing about alfalfa is that in, uh, in Canada, it's a GMO product. And I think in the US too, they can be sprayed with things like uh, Roundup. So you kind of do have to ask some questions to find out, was this bag sprayed or, you know, was it GMO or was it not? And so there are some extra questions to ask when we buy products, uh, but it can still be relatively easy if, if we do some homework. How to know that you're using enough? Like, I feel like somebody who would be transitioning from yep. using manure to using, you know, plant-based fertilizers, I, I would be a little stressed if I had a garden that was going well and like, okay, why, you know, how do I know I'm doing this right? You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, for me as someone who's been doing it veganically, I would probably have the same question if I switch the other way, where I'd say, I don't know what the right quantity is here. And uh, the, the reality is for, for everything that we add, the quantity can be a little bit different. Uh, but, um, you know, I mentioned the alfalfa pellets. That's something where you can actually just add a little handful of them into every transplant hole. So if you're planting a tomato and you make the hole for the tomato, you can put like a little a handful of alfalfa in that hole first. Um, and I do the same thing with compost. Uh, I know some people will take their compost and they'll, you know, add an inch or two everywhere and then they'll mix it in with the soil. I actually really prefer to put it right around the plants that I'm planting. And so if I make a hole for a tomato plant or a cucumber plant, I'll just add one or two handfuls of compost in that hole. And then I'll also have other materials on the surface as a mulch, like leaves or hay on the surface that we'll be breaking down. Um, but more than anything, it's kind of our plants that will let us know if they're if they're missing something. And so if we have plants that are going yellow, that's a sign that they don't have enough nitrogen. And you know, sometimes when you see some sort of deficiency, well, they might have other deficiencies too that we don't that we don't know about. Um, kind of a classic time that you might see a deficiency is if, for example, you grow a tomato plant inside, you know, that you're going to be bringing outside, or if you buy a tomato plant at a garden center that's in its tiny, tiny, tiny little pot. At some point, some of the leaves might start turning yellow because there's just not enough in that tiny pot to, to keep it going. And then usually when you put it in the ground, it'll it'll start growing some nice green leaves again. But 
If you notice near the beginning of the season that you're getting some yellow leaves, well, that's a sign that they don't have everything that they need. At the end of the season, if you have a tomato plant that's making tons of tomatoes for you and it's got some yellow leaves, I don't worry about that at the end of the season because it's concentrating on making its tomatoes. That's totally fine. That's, you know, it's moved on to another stage of its life and it's not concentrating on its leaves quite as much as before. But if you have young plants that are stunted, they're just not growing, or they're, you know, becoming yellow, that's not a great sign. If they're becoming purple, that's not a great sign either. But if you, you know, sometimes things will get stunted because of the cold. So if something's taken a little while to, to grow and it's chilly out, give it some time. But if it's nice and warm out and your plant's not growing, or if it's getting yellow, then I would say that's time to add a little something extra. Listen to your plants. That's, exactly. Make sure they've got body. their water. Yes. <laughs> Listen to your body, listen to your plants. It all works together. I live in the city. I have only a little balcony for yeah. gardening, gardening in containers. Everything you're talking to me about sounds really messy. What what can I do? Yeah, for sure. So in containers, uh, we tend to go to some simpler solutions. Um, so uh, Steph, who I run the Learn Veganic course with, uh, he grows on his balcony uh, quite a bit and has been for a number of years now. And I used to grow in containers for, for a nonprofit that I used to work for. And um, again, if we have access to compost, all the better. I can say that even in, in the US and England, people can actually just buy veganic compost commercially. In Canada, unfortunately, we don't have anything on the market yet that's that's easy to get. So it is uh, more complicated in some countries than others, especially because agricultural products often can't be sent across borders. And so even if you want to buy something that's available in the States, you can't necessarily. So each country will have its own level of like ease or complexity, depending what's available on the market. Um, but uh, one of our friends in Toronto, he invented something called the balcony compost, uh, which is basically composting in a bucket that's nestled in a flower pot. And so there's actually some flowers growing around the bucket. Uh, in, and then in the kind of inner bucket, you do your composting on a very small scale. It's only really good for one person who makes, you know, not too many food scraps. Uh, but it is actually quite a clean system because if there's any kind of liquid that comes out of the compost, it'll just be taken up by the flowers that are growing next to it. And so it's it's quite uh, aesthetically pleasing and, you know, it, it doesn't really cause a mess. Um, and one thing that Steph has been doing uh, on his balcony recently is on, on our end, it's interesting because, you know, we've gone from the beginning from the idea, like, we want to get all the materials we can from our neighborhood and we're going to decompose them and we're going to do it the most ecologically friendly way we can. And then once we started teaching a gardening course, we realized some people need much simpler solutions for that. Like what can I buy next week for my balcony? I don't have any compost made yet. And so he started experimenting more with alfalfa pellets um, just so that we actually could offer <laughs> some sim more simple, like ready to go solutions for people. Um, so what he actually does is he puts uh, if he has, you know, a, a decent sized flower pot, he'll put in about two cups of alfalfa pellets and he'll just mix them in. Now he is putting in compost too, because he does make his own compost. Uh, but with the alfalfa pellets he's putting in, they'll slowly break down over the course of the season. Uh, and even with something like alfalfa, um, you can take alfalfa meal or alfalfa pellets and just put it in a whole bunch of water and leave it there, you know, overnight. 
And then some of those nutrients are going to go off into the water, almost like you're making yourself a cup of tea. Some of the nutrients will be in the water. Some of them will still be in the solid part, but some of them are in the water and you can actually water your plants with that for a quick boost. So if somebody has a balcony garden and they just need like a quick solution, that's an option. Uh, another option for a quick solution is um, a liquid uh, kelp. And so uh, at oftentimes the garden centers, otherwise on you know garden websites, we can find liquid kelp relatively easily. Um, we were speaking before about all of the various nutrients and not being too reductionist with it. One thing about the kelp is it actually has very little nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, which are kind of the big three. Um, so it's not the thing that's going to like keep your plants going all season. But I see it more as like a vitamin, you know, uh, almost like a vitamin supplement for plants, but in, in a good way. Uh, and um, uh, But it has just so many other micronutrients in it. So even though it can't necessarily be the primary thing that sustains your plants, it is going to give them that boost of all sorts of other little things that they need. Um, and it's very, very easy to apply. You know, you, you buy the liquid kelp, you water it down according to whatever instructions it says on the package, and then you just water your plants with it. And I'll just throw in there that if anyone has house plants and they want to fertilize them veganically, that's where things get a little trickier because, you know, as I mentioned before, all these things about hay and decomposed leaves. Well, this doesn't apply anymore when we have house plants, especially because if we bring some of those things indoors, sometimes we're bringing in things that might go moldy and might cause allergies and things like that. So with house plants, you know, we generally want to keep things very, very clean. And we're not really talking about the soil food web anymore at that point. We're actually talking about just feeding our plant a little bit more directly. Um, and in that case, liquid kelp can actually, I would say, would be the easiest solution. If anyone has house plants and they want to give them a little boost, just get some liquid kelp and uh, and water it down. And that can work out really well. That is so awesome. And my plants are going to be thanking you very shortly. Let's help out people who are listening to this and are feeling inspired to grow a little bit of their own food the veganic way, but really have no background in gardening, no particular skills, and just wanting to start small. What do you recommend to them? Yeah, as I mentioned before, I really recommend to start composting uh, if you're able to, because that's just a really wonderful way to get started with the fertility side of, of fertilizing your veganic garden. Uh, in terms of some easy plants that you can grow when you're first starting out, uh, I really recommend peas and beans, because uh, as I mentioned before, peas and beans, they can actually get nitrogen from the air, so they don't need as much fertilizer as some other plants do. Uh, so if you have some soil that you're not sure if it's very fertile yet and, and you're just starting out, uh, peas and beans are some of the easiest plants to grow. Um, another plant that I think is a, a lovely plant to grow is kale. Uh, one reason I really like kale is because it's a plant that can actually live for two years. Uh, so if we think of something like spinach, a spinach plant, you know, you grow it and you harvest it and, and then it's gone. Or a lettuce plant, you know, you harvest it and it's gone. Or later in the season, it might, you know, create some flowers and, and you only have your plant for a short amount of time. Uh, whereas with a kale plant, it's there all summer and you can harvest from it. It's there all fall. You can keep harvesting on it uh, throughout the fall. Even when snow falls on it, you can harvest some kale leaves. And that kale is going to try its best to get through the winter and survive to the spring. And then you can harvest some more kale leaves in the spring before it makes its flowers and its seeds. Uh, so I think that's a really great use of space. 
Collards is the same thing. It's a plant that that's uh, trying its best to live for two years. Uh, so you can get so many leaves off of a collard plant compared to some other leafy greens. That's fantastic. And I'm really excited to encourage people to learn more about all this. And you have set up, as you mentioned earlier, this online course called Learn Veganic. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Learn Veganic is a course that we created so that people around the world uh, can learn how to grow their own fruits and veggies uh, at home using entirely veganic techniques. Uh, and it's a course that's really designed for people, uh, you know, to understand all of the concepts, regardless of whether you're a beginner or whether you're an experienced gardener, even if you're more advanced. Uh, we've had some people join us where it's the very first garden they're ever making, and they make it veganically right from their first year. And then we have other people joining us who have been gardening for years, and they either want to transition to veganic or they want to improve their veganic skills. Um, so yeah, uh, we have a summer session uh, that's just starting. Uh, and with the summer session, it's 12 hours of recorded videos uh, covering all sorts of different ways to garden veganically. So whether someone's got a backyard or a community garden or they've just got a balcony, uh, we cover techniques to garden veganically in all of these situations. Uh, and our summer session also includes a one hour uh, gardening consultation or Q&A session that's just one on one with me so that you can ask me all of your gardening questions. And uh, especially for Vegan Family Kitchen, um, we actually just created a coupon code for $20 off uh, with the coupon code Vegan Family Kitchen, all in one word. Uh, so if you are interested in joining us uh, this summer, uh, you're welcome to use that code. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful thing for us to share everything that we've learned with people uh, so that you can start gardening veganically much more quickly and much more easily. That is beautiful news. I really hope that uh, you get a lot of people. And, and you mentioned that um, it doesn't matter where people live. The principles are the same. Is that true? Exactly. And so when we talk about veganics in and of itself, we're mostly talking about moving away from those, uh, you know, plant, uh, animal based fertilizers and using plant based fertilizers and using plant based fertilizers is essentially the same no matter where we live. You know, no matter where we live, we want to be composting or we want to add a bit of mulch to our gardens and things like that. Um, whereas uh, with this course, we do encourage people to do some complementary learning for things like, you know, what are the planting dates in, you know, the area where I live? Because, you know, each of us, we live in area, you know, areas with very different climates. So what date should you plant your cucumbers? Well, that's going to change depending on where you live. But that information is really easy to find. The part that can be a bit tougher to find when we look for information is how can I do this in a veganic way that's animal friendly and environmentally friendly? So that's really what we concentrate on in the course is those kind of, you know, specialized veganic techniques that can really be applied anywhere in the world. That is beautiful. So everybody uh, go over to learnveganic.com. And if you do decide to sign up for the course, use that Vegan Family Kitchen coupon for $20 off. I don't have anything to benefit from that other than hoping that you will grow some lovely vegan peas and beans and vegetables and invite me over so we can mm -hmm. cook them up together. That is my only intention. Thank you so much, Meg, for being on the show today. I learned a ton of things and I'm sure that uh, people listening to us did as well. And I'm feeling hopeful and energized for a happier future in agriculture. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thank you.